So here's a, the first thing I want to talk to you about was, what, what question did you have when you were first saved? Do you remember when you were first saved? Did you have some questions? Hello? Good morning? Justification. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know when you got saved, but I mean, I think all of us had questions, right? What, what does it mean to be saved? What does this new life mean? How am I supposed to live? What, and I mean, come on, I mean, weren't you, you know, the, the sins and, you know, all, it's overwhelming, all these sins and how do I get free from this? The, the, the thoughts I have, the words I spoke, the things I used to do, am I, am I cleansed of this? And, and what does life look, look, look like now? Don't, didn't you have those questions? I mean, I guess the other thing is, how well did you know the word when you were saved? I was raised in the church, I didn't know the word. So I didn't even know what the word said about all these questions I had. That's what's going on in Corinthians. They, they, they were all saved, and, and they didn't know how to live this new life. And so they're crying out to, to, to God, how do we live this life? We want to live a life that's pleasing to you, but we don't know how to do it. So, so that's what's going on here. And as we've seen, and by the way, through, um, from uh, chapter 7, which we're starting today through 11, really what we're going to see is answers to a lot of practical questions that the Corinthians have. A lot of practical questions. Now, one of the greatest problems in the church in Corinth was sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. It was, it was a very big problem within the church. Um, and so they had a lot of questions about that. But as we'll see today, they had questions about marriage, about celibacy. They had questions about meat offered to idols. <clears throat> Excuse me. Questions about worship, spiritual gifts, and many others that we're going to be looking at over the weeks to come. So what I want you to see, brothers and sisters, is they were deep in the battle between the two worlds. They were just saved, and they were still covered with all these issues of the old world, and they're trying to figure out what it looks like to live uh, as a citizen of heaven, as as a kingdom in the new world. Now, this issue of sexual morality within Corinth was, was incredible. Um, fornication was common. Uh, adultery was, is, was plentiful within their homosexuality, bisexuality. Another thing they had that we don't see a lot in our time is polygamy. Many men and women had multiple wives or multiple husbands. They also had concubines. Some had wives and husbands, but they also had concubines. And of course, as Pastor Tyler preached last, last week, prostitution was big. Prostitution was big within the, the culture. So it was a culture that was covered in sexual immorality. You have to remember that Corinth, the way they would use this in the, in the Roman Empire, is if somebody was heavily deep into sin, they would say, you're living like a Corinthian. That was identified for people living in the depth of sin, is that's how bad things were in Corinth. It's amazing this is where God decided to plant a church. You know, it's kind of interesting that you would think it's amazing, but they, Paul had to tell the church, hey, I got to tell you something. You need to stop sleeping with prostitutes if you want to live a godly life. Does that sound a little over the top? You think they might know that? But, but that's what was going on. But you have to remember that we talked about this months ago, that Remember Aphrodite? That throughout Corinth, there was these different temples built to all the different gods that the Corinthians worshipped, right? And one of the greatest 
uh, temples of the Corinthian people was this to Aphrodite, which was up on the, on the high ground. Remember that? We talked about this months ago. I'm seeing a lot of dead faces here. But it was up on the high ground. <clears throat> and every evening, a thousand prostitutes would come into the town dressed in their white robes. They were called priests. And they would say, do you want to worship God? Then you give us some money and you sleep with us. And it's a way of worshiping God. So, so this, was, this was what they were raised in. This was what was going on in Corinth. It was very common. And what, what a deception that worshiping God was done by, by engaging in sexual immorality. This is just a little review from last week from Pastor Tyler, but it says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? That's what Paul was saying to them. <clears throat> and he said, never. Or 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. So as Pastor Tyler talked about last week, this, this convicting challenge uh, from the Word of God, the truth is that our bodies are holy temples of God. We were bought through the blood of Jesus. We are not our own. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit dwells within us. Therefore, we are the temple of God, and we should remain holy. Amen. We should remain holy. And let me challenge you, brothers and sisters, it isn't just engaging in prostitution, but that is the greatest accountability we can have. You don't need accountability partners. You have the very Spirit of God living within you. And when you engage in prostitution, drunkenness, lying, stealing, evil thoughts, the Spirit of God is with you if you're truly born again in all those activities. And that should, that should convict us and help us to remain holy and, and break away from our sinful patterns. Amen? I also love what Tyler talked about as the temple, uh, the three aspects of the temple now, and I probably won't get it exactly how he presented it, but I'll do the best I can. He said one of the things is that now that we are temples of, the, of God, the temple in Jerusalem was, was a mission church. It was a mission. See, you have to remember that the Holy Land was selected specifically by God because it was right in the trade center, Egypt to the south and the, and the Middle East all the way to Europe to the north. And everybody would be coming through Jerusalem. And that's what God selected as a holy ground. He says, now you build this temple to me, and I want you to tell people about the one true God. So as people would come through there being missional, they'd say, well, what is this beautiful temple? And they had the court for the Gentiles, which is anybody that wasn't a Jew, and they could come to this temple, and then the, the people would tell them about the one true God. It was missional. It was, to, it was to tell the people to give them hope and truth. And they would open the word to them and tell them about how they were delivered from Egypt. They would tell them about how he parted the Red Sea. They would talk about how there was manna in the wilderness. They would tell them the stories of the Bible to anybody that was coming through, uh, through Jerusalem to the temple. So now we're missional. We're the temple. We're, 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 we're supposed to be representing God to a lost and dying world. See, back then, there was, for the Jews, there was only one place to go. They had to go to this one temple. But now the temples are everywhere, and we're to be missional. When people see us, they, they should see the one true God, that we should be able to tell them about the one true God. We should be able to share what God's doing in our life and what God's done for us. We're missional. Amen. The second thing that Tyler talked about was the temple was worship. 
In fact, that was the one place you could worship. That is where you went to make your sacrifices for your sin. And I love what William said on Wednesday night. Everything we, we do should be to the glory of God. Right? Everything we eat, drink. And he talked about the glory of God. So now that we're the temples of God, we should be going around and being uh, revealing the glory of God in our lives, which draw people to worship. How are we doing so far? And the third thing that Pastor Tyler talked about was community. I mean, the Jewish people love to come to the feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the Passover, the, the Day of Atonement. They'd love to come up. All their families would come up, and, and they would, there would be this great community, right, of unity and, and bonding and celebration of the one true God. And now us as the temple should be representing this great community that we now, are now part of. It should be what draws people to Jesus Christ is the love we have for one another, the love we have for God, the love we have for one another. And when they come into this little church, they should sense the love of God and the unity we have together. That's what draws people. That's what people are looking for in this lost world. They're looking for some way to experience the love that they're missing in this world because the world only offers counterfeits. So, so we have these truths that we have to be living out as the temples of God. And I put another verse here for us, which is Galatians 2.20, is I have been crucified with Christ. It's I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay, with that, let's go on. Uh, I just wanted to set this up because these tie in together. If you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to go through verses 1 through 9. Just to prepare, come on up, brother. Just to prepare you, we're going to be talking about marriage, singleness, and sexual intimacy today. You okay with that? That's what's on the text, so that's what we're going to talk about. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Uh, reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 9. Now for the matter you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, in the same, uh oh, wait a minute, and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves mm -hmm. to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self control. I say this as a concession, not a command. Mm -hmm. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's God's word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that.
I just confess that if we were not an expository preaching church, I'd probably skip this section. (laughs) But we are, so we go verse by verse and we don't leave any truth uncovered. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let me just set it up a little bit here and then we'll dig into it verse by verse. But the, the, the wonderful gift of marriage, this institution God created for the most part was in ruins within the Roman Empire. It was an absolute ruins. It was a it was a disgrace to God. It wasn't uncommon for couples to have been divorced 20 times or more. Right? And, and re- the reality is by the first century, if you looked at someone, they said they were married, you couldn't tell the difference between married couples and single couples because they paid no attention to their covenant relationship, their covenant bond of marriage. Are you with me on this? And, and it was so bad, they were so selfish and flesh gener- fleshly driven that most marriages were tr- childless. They didn't want the, the inconvenience of having children. So, so that's the state of marriage in the general Roman Empire. It was, a, it was an absolute disaster. And uh, that's the setting for this as we, as we look at this. So you see that the, these believers in, in uh, Corinthian, the Corinthian church, now that they're born again, now that they're washed by the blood of the Lamb, now that they've been adopted into the family of God, now that they're citizens in heaven and ambassador of Christ, they want to know how do we live this life so that it's pleasing to God. That's their main question. And so, so a lot of their questions, you have to remember again, that's why I set this up by talking about the sexual immorality of Corinth, is... Should we all become celibate? Should we all become celibate? That was one of their questions. Even if you were married, should we be celibate in marriage? Do you see, see the question? Should, should we avoid any sexual intimacy, even in a marital setting? How does that sound? What's that? Stay tuned. We'll, we'll, stay tuned. We'll get there. So, so some of the, just so you know, there's kind of debate within the church. You have to see the extremes in the body of Christ. You had some that were still sleeping with prostitutes, right? You had the, the man coming to church with his stepmom, right? And then you got these people over here that are totally on the far right saying, you know what, I'm not going to even be with my wife or my husband anymore. So it's, it's a mix of all these things going on and different beliefs within the church and debates, and that's why they're writing this long list of questions to to Paul to find out what the answers are. Now, you know, it might seem crazy to us to think, oh, come on, this is ridiculous. To be celibate even in a marital relationship, that's, that's a little over the top, Paul. It's a little over the top, guys. But the reality is, when we were delivered from our own sinfulness, I don't know what you were enslaved to, there was, a, there was a deep hatred towards that bondage that we were in, amen? amen. I mean, that whatever it was, whether alcohol, drugs, sexual immorality, pride, whatever it was, when you got saved, I know when I got saved, there was a, there was a deep hatred for that sin type because it had deceived me and taken years of my life and resources, and I had a hatred for that sin. And that's what's going on in Corinth. They were enslaved sexually in so many ways that there was a hatred of sin, so the, the instant response is the pendulum tends to swing way over to one side that, you know, I'm not going to have anything to do with that anymore, even in my own marriage. 
So that's what's going on. It's, it seems crazy, but I think if we were in that, cult, that situation and we were delivered from it, we may be thinking the same thing. So let's get the answers to Kevin's question. Let's work through this together. So he starts off for, now for the matters you wrote about. Okay, you see this? Paul's responding to this long letter of lists of questions they have. He says this, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> but the, but the, the issue here is what they're asking him is, should we abstain from all sex relations? Is it best for us to remain celibate? Is this the holy life God desires? What, what do we do about this, this situation? So he starts off, it is good for a man to, not to have sex relations with a woman. But he continues, and he says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, he says, come on, brothers and sisters, you obviously can't be celibate. So why are you asking me? you got people sleeping with prostitutes. you got all this stuff going on. It, it's obviously an impossibility for you all to remain celibate. It is good. It is good for some to be single and celibate. We'll talk about that. But he said, for most of you, you can't remain celibate. He says, because of this, what does he say next? Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with their own husband. Right? He said, this is what God designed for sexual intimacy. It is to be lived out in the marriage and the marriage only. That's what he's saying. He, he said, it is good to be single and celibate, but for most of you, you can't. So God has designed this. He's gifted you to be in marriage. And within marriage, that is the only place you can enjoy this gift of God of sexual intimacy. And that's what he's saying to them. This isn't my word. This is his word. We already saw that anything outside of this, as Pastor Tyler taught last week, we're, we're bringing Christ into a sinful situation of sexual immorality. This is what God designed for the fulfillment of that great gift he gave us of sexual intimacy. But let me say this. i got to clarify this because I know how at least men think that Paul is not saying you should just get married to have sex. Okay? That, if you're thinking that way, we got to talk. Because Paul had a much higher view of marriage than just sexual intimacy. In fact, he makes a comparison that marriage is like the church, the bride of Christ, and the church is the, church is the bride of Christ, and, and Jesus is the groom, right? He has a very high view of marriage. But the problem with the Corinthian people was sexual immorality, so that's the focus of the application here, but certainly that's not why he's saying someone should get married alone. Are you with me on this? So what are some of the blessings of being married? What are some of the reasons believers get married? Well, I'd say first, as all of us that are married know, it is one of the great refining fires. It's one of the great sanctifying fires of God is to be married to someone. All the married people say, amen. amen. Because, because what happens is you, you may think as a believer that you're pretty sold out to Jesus and you're pretty selfless until you get married. And it uncovers all kinds of selfishness and additional areas that we need to get sanctified. 
So th- th- that is one of the things God uses to br- make us more like Christ is being in a marital situation where there's lots of sacrifices and revelation and sanctification. Are you with me on this? Yeah, it is. It's, we never quite get there, but it's, it's, it's good. It's a blessing. of. of it's, who doesn't want to be more like Jesus? It's one of the blessings of marriage. A second, a second blessing, and we're going to get the blessings of singleness, by the way, so hang in there. Another, another blessing of, of marriage is your, your personal ministry. Everybody has a personal ministry. And so what happens is you help each other, encourage each other, and grow so that you're more effective in the ministry that God called you to. Does that make sense? They see things about you. They encourage things about you. They, they help you grow so that you'll be a more effective minister of the gospel. Those are deep, meaningful uh, blessings of being married. Third is your spouse becomes your best friend, your lifelong companion, someone that you love to talk to about everything and, and be with and, and, and just share life with. Fourth, if you have children, it becomes this, this mutual ministry. Your first place of ministry is with children. It gives you this this challenging, difficult work together of training and instructing your children in the way they should go, which is also another refining fire. So I put those four things first, and then fifth, yes, marriage is about enjoying life together, going out and having good meals, enjoying uh, the world, as Ed talked about, and seeing things, and all those things are wonderful, and they should be enjoyed in the context of marriage, including sexual intimacy. You good with that? My point I want you to hear is that marriage isn't driven out of lust. It's driven out of glorifying and honoring God. That's what God intended. And don't get me wrong, intimacy is a beautiful thing and it's a part of it, but there's, there's a lot more to a marriage than sex. Amen? Amen? Now we're getting even a little more racy here. So now I want you to picture the context here. So now, now Paul's addressing the issue of sexual intimacy within the marriage, within the marriage itself. Are you with me? See, some believe they should not have sexual intimacy, period. Every form of, <clears throat> every form of intimacy within the marriage was sin. That's who Paul's talking to. And especially for those who got saved but their spouse didn't. So they felt like, I can't have sexual intimacy with my spouse. They didn't get saved. That act of sexual intimacy would be sin in itself. Are you with me on all this? So what does he say? He says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. He calls them to fulfill their marital responsibility to one another, that God's design, God's desire for sexual intimacy, it's sacred, it's a wonderful gift to him be enjoyed within the marital relationship. It's a privilege, it's a pleasure, it's a gift, but it's also a duty is what he's saying. Now why is he saying this to him? Because you have to, again, the context is king here. He's trying to get these people to hear that, stop it. I I understand why you want to be celibate from all the sexual morality, but that is not God's desire, God's design within the marital relationship. So he's speaking strongly to them to encourage them to go back to the God's design for their marriage. Are you with me? Yeah, so when you hear this, you, gotta, you have to read it in that context. And then he goes on, the, the wife's body, uh, the, what, the wife does not have her, 
have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to the wife. Okay, I got to get in your kitchen here a little bit because this is the this is the text that is used mostly by men to abuse their spouses in a sexual way. You ready for this? Because that's what men in the church do. They take this verse and and they and they try to browbeat their brides into sexual intimacy by using this verse and holding it over their heads. It's, a, it's sexual abuse. See, the, the problem is when they, when they bring these verses up, and believe me, we've seen it in the, in the church, I've seen it since I've been saved within the church, is they miss the context. They're taking this verse out of context. The context is these people wanted to be holy. They wanted to be righteous. They weren't looking for just the simplistic sexual desires of, the, of their lives to be fulfilled. They thought that being celibate was a way to better worship God. And he's saying, no, no. Go back to your I'm, I'm speaking strongly to you that your body's not your own and your wife's, your bodies are not your own. You need to be intimate within a relationship. Don't believe the lies of that, that you're supposed to be celibate within a marriage. He's trying to encourage them to go back and enjoy that marital relationship. But their heart's desire was to bring glory and honor to God. It wasn't simplistic, selfish, sexual desires that are used within the church to browbeat women with this text. Are you with me? That's not what God desired. God desires that husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're to be, we're to be loving our wives as Christ loved the church even unto death. So, so you know, a man like that doesn't use scripture to manipulate his wife into sexual activities. Amen. No way. But the the reality is what Paul's saying is that that, that you know you, you all love God. You've come into a saving relationship, and, and you're married, and you should fulfill your marital obligations to one another. But it should out of be should be out of your love for God and your love for one another. And a confirmation of the context is next because he says, he says, do not deprive each other except perhaps for mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. <clears throat> See, he, he understands their spiritual desire to be holy. He understands what's going on in, in, their, in their lives. He said, listen, I'm telling you, you should, you should be uh, dutifully... Res- uh, sharing this great gift God's given you, but I understand that you're still breaking free from all the sexual immorality. So, you know, it's okay if you both decide to take a week off and just pray together or for whatever season you decide to pray and get right with God. And, and I think the, the major underlying uh, thing he's talking about is all the sexual immorality in their lives. It could be anything, though. He said, maybe you've got a death level, one. it could be anything in your life. But he's saying, it's okay if you both agree that for a season... We're going to abstain from sexual intimacy. We're going to pray and seek God, but then set a timeline on that, and after that, re-engage in that sexual intimacy within the marriage. This is rated R today. <laughs> but, but that's what's going on there. He's saying, so do that. And he's saying, because if you don't do that, which was going on in Corinth, if you don't commit to that, the chances are Satan will, will come in and attack your marriage. 
And, and one of you may fall into sin. One of you may fall in with a, an Aphrodite prostitute. One of you may fall into an adulterous relationship. You, you need to protect your marriage and, and make sure that you're working together to make sure that everything's going well, including your sexual in, intimacy. But then he says this, I say this is a concession, not as a command. Do you get that? What is he saying? He's saying that singleness is a wonderful gift from God as well. Singleness is a gift from God. But I'm telling you because, because you are married or you cannot control yourself sexually, you should be married because that's the only context you can live it out. But I'm saying this is a concession, not a command. As he says, I wish all of you were as I am. I wish all of you were single like I am. Why would he say that? Because there's blessings in singleness. There's blessings in singleness. But here's the problem going on, brothers and sisters. In the Jewish culture, anybody that was single was looked down upon. They were a failure. You know, because the Jewish people would be always setting people up and trying to get them married and, you know, you know their, their daughters getting married to the right people and all the rest of that. They really felt like they, they kind of held this genesis issue that if you don't get married and multiply, you're sinning against God, and they would guilt people to get married. And Paul's saying that's not, that's not God's desire and God's design. Some people are called to singleness, and it's a wonderful blessing from God. And by the way, I don't know about you, but I, th- I see that in our culture too, as people are pushed to get married. Maybe not in this current generation, but when I was growing up, we were. My grandma was always asking me, so is there anybody special in your life? <laughs> you know, she'd always say, no, grandma, there's nobody special in my life. But they would always be pushing you to, to get married, because that was like the only way that you'd have a happy life. Now I'd realize the motivation is strictly grandkids, but I'm over that now. So, but, but he's saying that, no, there, there's great blessings in the single life, too, that God calls people to. What are the blessings of the single life? Good. Focus on God instead of family. Good. I, I, I was open. I, I didn't know, but where since someone said I was going to let anybody else speak, but let me go over a few. Anne is right on with that. It's a beautiful one. But let's start off with the simple one. The first one is your own intimate relationship with Jesus. Your own time with Jesus. As a single person, you have all the time you want to be with Jesus. That's not true for someone that's married. And it certainly isn't true with someone that's married with kids. Because as Paul teaches, that late, those responsibilities come into your life and they take a, a, and you have those responsibilities. It's your first place of ministry, so it's your calling to, to serve your family and your children. But a single person can spend all the time they want in intimacy with Jesus. They can pray and read the Word and go as deep as they want every day of their lives. Amen? That's a, and for you who are single, you, you may not appreciate that as much but for us that are married, kids, grandkids, we know we don't have that time. I can remember even when my kids were little, I'd get up real early in the morning, 5 o'clock. I said, all right, get my cup of coffee. I'm going to go get my Bible, and this is going to be wonderful. One of my little kids was at the door. Hey, I, you know, something's wrong, or I need something to eat was typically the one thing they wanted from me. But, and so what do you do? Sorry. I'm in the Word right now. No, you get up and you serve your kids. And so 
the, the privilege, and single people don't, again, you know, the grass is always greener, but they don't realize the gift they have of spending extra time with God and being intimate. Another one is the freedom of ministry. You have the freedom of ministry that married people don't have. If you're single, you can get a call at any time and you can respond. Hey, come on, can you come over? I need some help with this or I'm really in a bad way. Can you come over and pray with me and open the... Yeah, I got nobody to check with. I can do it. Not that we don't have responsibility, but I'm saying overall you have that freedom that married couples and people with kids don't have. The freedom to minister, the freedom to take phone calls, the freedom to take phone calls, the freedom to go on short-term missions, long-term missions, all those freedoms that, that we don't have. I mean, look, my own daughter's not at church today. She misses a lot of church. Why does she miss church? Because one of the kids is sick. She can't be here because her kids are sick, right? So you don't realize in singleness, you don't have all those issues going on, all those challenges and all those problems. And the third one I would say the great blessing is the financial freedom. Once you're married, you have a lot of financial, you have a lot of financial responsibilities to the family. And when you're single, you don't have those. So you can give as the Lord leads and do as, as you feel the Lord leads and, and not have all those extra responsibilities. So what I want you to see is there's, there's blessings in singleness and there's, and there's blessings in marriage. As he says here, uh, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. So Paul's saying, I'm not saying that singleness is the only way, but there's blessings in singleness and it's a good way of life. But there's blessings in marriage and that's also a good way. Each of you has been called differently and he's not judging either one. Amen? Okay, well, we're almost home here. And then he gives one specific, you know, you got a picture of this letter they sent to him. They had specific questions too, and now he, he got the general question done, and now the unmarried and widows want a specific response regarding the same question. Now, in, just so you know, in, in the Jewish culture, there's three references in the scriptures about single people. One is virgins, which are people that, women that were never married. The second uh, classification is unmarried. Those are women that were married and then not, are now divorced. And the third one, which would be widows, which were married and their spouses died. This specifically is addressed to those that were uh, married but now divorced and those that are widows is who he's addressing here. And he says to them specifically, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried. It is good for them to stay unmarried. He says, as I do. He says, it's good. It's a good thing. Why? We just talked about that. Right? Because they have all the, the, the blessings of singleness. But he says kind of the same thing. He says, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Do you see that? He's saying, again, it's good. It's good for the kingdom. But also, I realize that some of you are not designed. You're not gifted for singleness. And in that case, if you're burning with passion, you should be married. Amen? Amen. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I... I I had a, uh, a brother in my life at one time who had been divorced and he was determined to stay single. He believed he should be celibate and single his whole life. Do you remember him? Yeah. Well, anyway. Well, no. <laughs> but he, he, was, uh, he was burning with passion. And I, we all saw it on him. You know, I'm going to be, you know, 
But how it came out was frustration and anger and irritable all the time because he was burning with passion. He, but he, he, you know, he, wanted to be, he wanted to be super godly, and he thought that was a call to singleness. But he obviously didn't have the gift because anybody got near him didn't want anything to do with Jesus. <laughs> if this is the result of Jesus, I don't want it. So eventually, uh, after counsel, he was kind of a stubborn man, but after counsel, he finally got married, and he was a whole different guy. He was a whole different guy because he wasn't designed for it. And that's what he's saying. If you're, if you're burning with passion, you're, you're probably being called to marriage, and that's a good thing. But if you're called to singleness, praise God as well. You know, one of the advantages we have, brothers and sisters, is we have the Word of God. And I'll, let me close with this and encourage you. The Corinthians didn't have the Word of God. The Word of God, the New Testament, didn't exist yet. We're thankful for their problems and their letter because otherwise we wouldn't have First Corinthians. But the reality is, is, let me just encourage you with this. You have other questions besides this one in your life, and the Word of God has answers for all of them. We can now look it up topically to find out what it is and, um, and to get them answered. And by the way, one other question that's clear, and Aaron Tyler will talk about it more in a few weeks, is that if you're married and your spouse isn't saved, what are you supposed to do? Stay married. You stay married. You stay married. If she doesn't want to depart. Right? If she doesn't want to depart. If she wants to depart, you, bl- you release her from that marriage. But if, if you're married to an unbeliever, you, you're supposed to stay with them. And we see that in the context here because he's talking to people specifically that they should continue to fulfill their marital duties even if your spouse is unsaved. And we'll talk more about that. But what Kevin said is true. What, Je- what Ralph says is true. Is you're supposed to stay with them unless they no longer want to stay with you. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time in your word, but this touchy subject, and I pray that uh, the truth was proclaimed from your word, and I pray for anybody struggling with some of these questions and issues would be, uh, would be filled with the peace of God as they know your truth. We love you, Lord Jesus, and in your name we pray, amen. amen. Thank you, Pastor. Yes, my brother. Yes, brothers.